In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My dear sisters and brothers in Christ, the parable of the shrewd manager. Did you like that story? (laughs) It is regularly considered to be the most difficult parable that Jesus ever told. And because of that, most preachers choose to avoid it. And to be honest with you, for a number of years I have too. I preached on it one other time, and that was my very first year as a pastor. And I'll tell you why I preached on it. Because back then, I knew everything. I wasn't afraid of anything. I looked at this story, and I knew exactly what it meant. I knew everything about the Bible. I knew everything about being a pastor and everything else in between. And so, trying to glean some of my former knowledge, I went back and I read my former sermon from 13-plus years ago. And I need to make a phone call this week and apologize to the people of my former congregation. I didn't preach any false doctrine or anything like that. But part of what I now know that I did not know back then was the meaning of this parable. The parable of the shrewd manager. And here is why I think this parable is so difficult for us to understand. It's because you need to understand the difference between what the Bible calls the wisdom of faith and the wisdom of love. I'll explain those. The wisdom of faith knows that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that His death is our life, that we confess this in the creed, this faith, this this wisdom of faith, the We confess that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he died, that he rose, that he ascended into heaven, and that he is now seated at God the Father's right hand, waiting to return on that last great and final day. The wisdom of faith is is what Paul was confessing about young pastor Timothy. When he said about him, from infancy, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the wisdom of faith, Paul says. And because of the wisdom of faith, you and I have the confidence to stand before our judge on the last day. The wisdom of faith tells us exactly how it will play out, that you and I will stand there with nothing in our hands to offer God, and so we will rely on nothing more and nothing less than the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that will be enough. And so we approach that day with great joy and confidence. Because we know that we will stand before our judge because of Jesus Christ, holy and blameless and perfect. This is the wisdom of faith that knows salvation and eternal life. The wisdom of love, on the other hand, is given to us through the Ten Commandments. And specifically in the last seven commandments that pertain to how we love our neighbor. 
So while the wisdom of faith teaches us how we are to stand before God, the wisdom of love teaches us how we stand before one another. How we stand before our neighbor. And part of the wisdom of love is to recognize that love takes all different kinds of shapes and forms, that our love for people will be different according to our various vocations. So, for example, my love for my next-door neighbor looks different than my love for you, the members of Prince of Peace. I don't go over to my next-door neighbor's house and start preaching to him a sermon on his front porch. And conversely, I don't drive over every week and wheel in your trash cans off the curb. Love looks different. Likewise, the love that you have for your children looks different than how you love your parents. And the love that you have for your boss and for the governor of our state and for the president of our nation, all of these kinds of love look different and they live out in real life differently. Again, according to vocation. Your love for your fellow Christians as members of the body of Christ, specifically as members here of Prince of Peace, this is a special love where we care for and pray for each other, where we help and bless and can look after one another. The love of husband and wife is a unique love that is not to be shared between anyone else. And that love is shaped by the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery. The love of children and parents is shaped by the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. Your love for your employer is shaped by the seventh commandment. You shall not steal. That means you work hard and diligently to do everything you can to prosper your employer's business and company. And my love for you as members of Prince of Peace and your love for me as your pastor, that's actually really kind of a third commandment sort of love. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do, do not despise preaching and God's word, but gladly hear and learn it. Which means my love for you looks an awful lot like me being here week after week preaching a sermon and teaching various Bible classes. And your love for me looks an awful lot like you sitting there listening to me preach and learning in Bible class, and believing the message of the gospel. The Ten Commandments give shape to and guide our love. This, is, this becomes even almost more important when it comes to the way that we interact with and we have these conversations out in the culture of our world. When we hear things like, love wins, or, or someone asks us the question, who are you to judge how I love and what I love? You see, we have to remember that some generic reference to love is not enough. It doesn't answer all the questions. Especially if love is being used against the commandments. So, for example, if you have a couple who is living together and kind of acting like they're married and enjoying and participating in all the blessings that God gives to a marriage, and they say, it's okay because we're in love. Sorry, that's not enough. 
And, biblically speaking, that's not even love. It's lust. Because intimate love is shaped by the sixth commandment. So scripture sets before us these two different kinds of love. The, the wisdom of, or two different kinds of wisdom. The, the wisdom of faith and the wisdom of love. The wisdom of faith which knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the wisdom of love which orients our whole lives toward our neighbor according to our vocations and the Ten Commandments. And here is why, I know that was a long intro, but here is why I think it's so challenging for us to understand the parable that Jesus puts before us this morning. Because the vast majority of parables that Jesus teaches are parables that teach us the wisdom of faith. They teach us how God views us. They teach us that God is the one who seeks us when we are lost, who comes after us, who calls us and invites us back to himself and welcomes us when we return to him. That our God is the one who lavishes on us richly his grace, over abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And all of this is teaching us the wisdom of faith. And what we need to understand is that the parable of the shrewd manager is not a wisdom of faith parable. We struggle to make sense of it when we try to make it so. When, when we try to ask ourselves, and I know some of you, maybe even many of you this morning as I was reading through that parable, were thinking to yourself, which one of these guys is supposed to be God? I mean, I would assume he's the owner, right? Well, yeah, but that's the guy that commends the manager for stealing and being dishonest, and God would never do that. So, so who's God? Who are we? What, what is this interaction between us and God in this parable? And that's the problem. You see, the parable that Jesus sets before us this morning is about the wisdom of love. And when we understand that, this parable actually becomes pretty simple and rather practical. So there's a wealthy man who owns a business or some sort of company, and he finds out that his manager, the guy that he put in charge of the day-to-day -day operations, was somehow cheating or stealing from him. Whatever it was, we're told that he was wasting his master's possessions. So the master calls him in and says to him, show me the books. Let's see what you've been up to. Oh, and by the way, you're fired. And the manager panics. He knows that very soon he is going to be homeless and jobless and penniless. And so he knows he's too proud to beg, that he's too weak to do manual labor. And so he comes up with a plan. He actually starts to work. And here's the plan. He contacts all of the people that owe his master money, and he cuts down their bill. You owe 800, make it 400. Sign your name, get out of here. You owe 1,000, make it 800. Sign here, be gone with you. And he does this for everyone who owes his boss money. And when the owner, the boss, finds out what his manager has done, he commends him for it. And he not only commends him, the, the, the word there is actually 
prays. He praises his manager, the guy he just fired. It's actually the same word the Bible uses to describe what the angels do for God in heaven. They praise him, and so this owner praised his manager. Why? We're told it's because of his shrewdness for exercising such wisdom. Now, the manager broke the seventh commandment. There's no denying that. He stole from the owner. And Jesus is not teaching us here to emulate this man by coming up with clever ways of scheming people out of their money and possessions. No, that's not it. So why does this owner commend the manager? I, the, the closest example I think I could come up with is, it's sort of like, have you ever watched a movie or a TV show where somebody is doing something you know is wrong? Like, like there's a group of people and they're in on this bank heist. And you don't know why, but by the end of the movie, you're actually rooting for them to succeed because they had such a good plan, because it was so clever and so amazing to watch it all unfold. This is why the manager commends, or the, the, the owner commends his manager. And the way that Jesus makes the application here is he says that he's interested in why the manager was motivated to do what he did. He used his wisdom, his shrewdness, to get what he wanted. That was his motivation. The manager said, I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And Jesus comes back to this later when he explains the points of the parable. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Are you ready for a dose of humble pie? Here's what Jesus is saying. The people of this world, unbelievers, are better at being people of this world, are better at being unbelievers, than Christians are at being Christians. Than we are at being people of the light, Jesus says. Just look out at the world. The people of this world, they scratch and claw and do whatever it takes to acquire for themselves more money, more stuff, more power. They have an undivided attention at acquiring more wealth and accomplishing more success. Nothing else matters to them outside of this life, this world, and everything that will make it more enjoyable and pleasurable for them. They don't have time to waste with God. And so when Jesus says you can't serve both God and money, the people of this world go, no problem. I really wasn't planning on serving God anytime soon. I got my mind focused on one thing and one thing alone. But you and I don't get that as easily, do we? We're not as wise in this sense as the people of the world. 
we still tend to think we can serve both God and money. We can give a little attention to God and a little more attention to money, and in the end, you know what? We'll have the best of both worlds. Can't do it, Jesus says. Because you will either hate the one or love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And so what Jesus says is, instead of loving money, instead of serving money, instead of letting money use you, Jesus says, use money to make for yourself friends. And that's what the manager did. He was shrewd. He was wise in this sense. He was actually a genius. If he had just stolen the money from his boss, he would have wound up in jail or something worse. So instead, he uses money to endear people to himself so that when he ran out of his own money, they would remember it. And perhaps they would invite him in to crash on their couch and give him, give him a little bit of food. And Jesus says the people of this world are wiser and better at using money to get what they want than we are. And you and I can and should learn a thing or two from them, strangely enough. How many soccer tournaments or baseball games did you see when you were driving in this morning? How many of your, your neighbors were loading up their, their motor home either this morning or, or, or Saturday morning or Friday after they got home from work? People are serious about their recreation. They work hard at relaxing. But for us, oh, 9.30, that sure is an early time to get up on Sunday morning. 7 o'clock for a midweek Bible class? That sure is late in the evening after the long day I've had. People of this world know what they want and they fight to go after it. And Jesus says, too often we don't. This is the contrast that Jesus is after in this parable. That the people of this world pour their mind and body into making their future just a little better while we as Christians, who in fact have the most glorious future waiting for us, the promise of eternal life with Christ, the hope of the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, we hardly think of the future. And if we do, it's in fear and trembling because of how uncertain it is. And so Jesus rebukes us with this parable. He says, think of the future that I have promised you and use the resources I have given you for, for these purposes. Jesus wants us to use or to view money not as a master to be served, but as a tool to be used to make friends. And not just friends who might hopefully one day allow us to sleep on their couch or have access to their refrigerator, but friends, Jesus says, that are eternal. Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, that is when you die, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus says, use your worldly wealth. That's more than money. Use your stuff, your possessions, your education, 
your expertise, your talents, your time, your connections. Use everything that you have to make eternal Christian friends. To build a crowd of people who will be waiting for you one day to welcome you home to eternal life. As I said, this parable is is practical advice from Jesus. Jesus is saying here, you've got a mind, use it. Meditate on good things, ways to love and serve your neighbor. You've got a body, use it to serve and bless your neighbor. You've got various resources, use them to care for the people around you, to be friendly, to support the gospel ministry, and in doing so, you will make for yourself friends who will be your forever friends in the life that is to come. In other words, we use everything that we have and everything that we are to build up the kingdom of God here on earth. And this is a chief part of the wisdom of love. And you, the the members here of Prince of Peace, you are already doing this in part. You support the preaching of the gospel here in the Caneo Valley. You support the preaching of the gospel throughout the world. And you do this through your offerings. Offerings which are not given in service to God. God doesn't need your money. You give these offerings in love and service to your neighbor to support your pastor and the proclamation of the gospel, to have a place that you can invite your friends to come and hear the gospel at. And God be praised for all of it. Friends, the Holy Spirit put this text in front of us this morning, and he invites us to assess whether or not we are being wise, whether or not we are being shrewd, Are we loving our neighbors with our money? Are we using our money to make eternal friends? Are we using the resources God has given us for his kingdom and in support of the gospel? And what more can we do so that our friends and neighbors are our eternal friends and our eternal neighbors? And as we reflect on this, as we measure ourselves by God's standard, we see our failures and so we repent. And we ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we can see the opportunities that God has put in front of us to bless and serve one another as our neighbors. And that he would give us this wisdom, not just the wisdom of faith, but also the wisdom of love that we would grow in this kind of shrewdness and wisdom our Lord commends in this parable. That we would know how best to make eternal friends. That we would know how best to fill God's church. That we would know how best to support the gospel, to put the loving kindness of Jesus on display for the whole world to see. That's the point of this parable. And if your ears are tuned into this kind of thing, maybe you're saying to yourself now, well, the wisdom of love, that's just the law, right? It is. Which would mean that the parable of the shrewd manager is just all law, right? Yes, it is. And that's good for us to hear. 
It's good instruction for God to give to us. But it's also good and right for us to end with a promise this morning. Because as you look at and consider the wis- this wisdom this morning, both the wisdom of faith and the wisdom of love, you realize, I realize, I am still a child in this regard. That I'm still growing in this wisdom and I'm still learning what God wants me to know. But Jesus has graduated. He knows and does it all perfectly, which is why the Apostle Paul communicates this fact in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 with this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus gives up everything. Though he possesses all heaven and earth, he becomes poor. Though he is the exalted Lord of lords and King of kings, he humbles himself. And why? So that he might gain you as his eternal friend. It is his life and his blood that are your true riches, his mercy and his promises that are your true treasure, his name and his kingdom that are your true inheritance. Oh, how Jesus loves you. He made himself nothing to give you everything. He suffered that you would know peace. He died that you would live. And this gospel, the message that communicates these loving truths to us, is our confidence as we strive to, by God's grace, to live for and love and to serve one another. This is our sure hope as we use what God has given us to do and accomplish the same for one another, this is our certainty. As we are set free to venture all things for our neighbor. Because in Christ, we possess God's eternal riches. Brothers and sisters, may God grant us this wisdom, the wisdom of faith and the wisdom of love, that we might be a blessing to one another and everyone we meet. In the name of Jesus.